Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood, and welcome to Faith and Family. We have a very unique broadcast for you today. We're going to entitle it, That Hideous Strength. And today we're going to discuss two closely related topics. First, we're going to be talking about the openly proposed plans for a post-coronavirus world order. And right along with those plans that have been openly announced, we're going to talk about a 1940s book by C.S. Lewis, a remarkable book that prophetically lifted the veil on the origin of what many people are now calling the Great Reset or the Deep State, that type of thing. Now, I know many of us were so thankful that we were done with 2020. I'm like, wow, I'm glad that's behind us. This broadcast is to give perhaps an indication it may not totally be behind us. For this reason, the world's rich and powerful are making revolutionary plans for life after the coronavirus is over. Now, I don't know if they're going to be successful in their plans, but I do know that big plans are being made. I'd like to start with Henry Kissinger, very open about some big money plans. He was uh, the Rockefeller's global strategist. And in the Wall Street Journal, he wrote an article on April 3rd of 2020. And the article was entitled, The Coronavirus Pandemic Will Forever Alter the World Order. And in this editorial, he is basically saying the coronavirus is going to be a spark or a trigger to initiate a whole profound, comprehensive change in the entire world. <laughs> so this is why I'm saying 2020, this whole thing may not have been over. And this is what he says. The U.S. must protect its citizens from disease. That's fine while starting the urgent work of planting, planning for a new epoch. In other words, while fighting the disease, we also have to prepare for a new world order. He says the coronavirus is going to be over, but the world then will never be the same. And he goes on, and I quote, The crisis effort, however vast and necessary, must not crowd out the urgent task of launching a parallel enterprise for the transition to the post-coronavirus order. In other words, there's some plans that have been in the work for a long time, but the coronavirus is going to be that spark that will initiate this order. He goes on and says, leaders are dealing with the crisis largely on a national basis. That's kind of important, national basis but the virus's society-dissolving effects do not recognize borders. So no country, not even the U.S., can in a purely national effort overcome the virus. Addressing necessities of the moment must ultimately be coupled with a global collaborative vision and program. Now, that was his editorial in the Wall Street Journal last April. I also happened to have 
read Kissinger's book entitled World Order, which he wrote a few years before his editorial. And I can give you a a very quick one-sentence summary of the 420-page book, World Order, because he's talking about the coronavirus is going to initiate this new world order, and it's simply this. He's calling for the gradual elimination of national sovereignty. Thank you very much, but I'm very happy with the United States of America the way it is. I realize it's not perfect, but you show me something else that's working better. And I certainly don't want to uh, lose our national sovereignty for some uh, globalist plan for a new order that's untried, unproven, and quite frankly, uh, from the wrong perspective. And I'll be describing why. Now, Henry Kissinger isn't alone on this by any means. Uh, The World Economic Forum, if you go to their website, they plan to use the coronavirus pandemic, again, as a entrance to the most comprehensive change for every person in every part of the world in every dimension of life, from the climate to the currency. They basically want to transition to a cashless society with only digital currency, to what you eat. They don't want you to eat quite as much meat, even if it's grass-fed. There will be uh, a fourth industrial revolution. You haven't heard of it? It's right on the World Economic Forum. And what's that? That's merging man and machine. And some of those connected with this movement are already talking about implantable microchips. This isn't science fiction. These are very powerful world leaders talking about that our current system is unsustainable and the coronavirus has shown that, so we need a whole new worldwide system. Uh, A part of the new industrial revolution of the World Economic Forum, they say there, there will be pledges of reduced inequality. Now, that's a nice way of saying socialism and communism. I'm sorry, but talk to someone who has fled Cuba. Talk to someone who has fled Venezuela. Talk to someone who has lived under the Soviet Union. This is not a good idea. And yet these pledges to reduce inequality, I mean, sure, that sounds great, but how are you going to do that from the top down through a totalitarian state? Uh, No thanks. Now, both the United Nations Agenda 2030, this is plans they'll be using the years, the 2020s, to develop towards this agenda in 2030, along with the World Economic Forum. They both believe that the key to this entire scheme being successful, eroding national securities, Um, moving away from having currency. It'll be all digital. And if you want to look to an all digital currency, you might take a peek at China because if you don't obey the state, they can just turn off your account like that. In any case, the key to making this scheme successful is education. 
and they believe that education is an in, indispensable ingredient to changing attitudes. So public schools will become globalist schools. Now, obviously, there's some good aspects to being concerned for our world. And, you know, a lot of these things sound good and to a degree can be supported, but care needs to be taken. LifeSite News reported this October that Pope Francis addressed addressed, uh, what he called the global impact on education. And Pope Francis has called for a creation of a global education system with humanity at its center. Now, that, to me, gets dangerous when you don't have God at its center. You put humanity at its center. And he called for a creation of a new universal culture that will serve the whole world. And again, It sounds good, but we need to be careful of what some very powerful people are planning. There's another group that meets, at least the last few years, on an annual basis called the World Government Summit. And in 2017, the members met and had their photographs under a particular arch. Guess what that arch was a replica of? It was an replica of the Arch of Baal, Baal, the demon god idol of the Canaanites in the Old Testament. This is what they, this is what they were meeting under. This is, this is like reverting to a world order of darkness of the very worst kind. Now, that's just a warm-up. There's all kinds of things. You can learn more about this but I want to take you to somebody who was so on top of where the world was heading in the 1940s, and I'm talking about C.S. Lewis. How in the world did this English professor see this? Well, one of the things he was very aware of is that the growth of a totalitarian government, and totalitarian is a word developed in the 20th century it means total, everything. And without modern technological gadgets and modern science, it would be impossible to have a truly totalitarian government. And that's what he was warning about in his book, That Hideous Strength. Now, unless it was by, I look back in my life, divine providence, I would have never had read this book because I'm not a huge fan of science fiction. Just I read a lot of books, just I'm not a fan of it. And the book, That Hideous Strength, is science fiction. In fact, Lewis calls it a fairy tale for grown-ups. Now, I was in a course in seminary for evangelism to the modern world. And I thought, well, it'd be all kinds of techniques of evangelism and everything else. I was very interested to see what the professor would have us do and what he would have us learn. And to my surprise, the entire course on modern evangelism, 100% of all of our work was C.S. Lewis. (laughs) He was trying to tell us something. So I was required for that course to read that hideous strength, something I would have never have read. And then I read it, and for me, it was somewhat life-changing. 
in fact, uh, towards the end of the book, and I'm not giving it away, I'm just saying, I think it was the second or third time I was reading that hideous strength. By this time, uh, having a bunch of kids in the home, I started laughing so hard, I literally fell out of bed. My kids were already in bed, supposed to be going to sleep, and they came running into the bedroom. Here's dad on the floor laughing uncontrollably. It was from reading this book. Uh, That Hideous Strength, when it came out in the 1940s, had poor reviews for it. I'm just giving it to you straight. Uh, I had one of the most esteemed British theologians for a professor at my seminary. He was a visiting professor, Dr. J.I. Packer. And he, of course, thought the world of C.S. Lewis, but he thought Lewis kind of lost his mind when it came to that hideous strength. Personally, I believe that Lewis was so far ahead of his time that his contemporaries could not see and perceive what he was warning about. Just real quick, just taking you into the book, and I'm not going to do any real giveaways here because you need to read the book. But the book features a couple, Mark and Jane. They've been married for six months. They didn't have any plans to have children for the sake of their careers. They were modern progressives. And it was interesting, marriage kind of starts that hideous strength. And Basically, they're living their lives in the post-Christian era. These were the progressives. And as they moved away from God, they were moving away from each other, and their interior lives were fracturing, coming apart. And I'll just tell you, things come together at the end, or kind of a restoration with God, and as a result, their marriage does. So it's interesting that Lewis is framing this book, That Hideous Strength, with marriage. Now, Mark was a young intellectual, and he was hired to write editorials for an organization called NICE. Now, NICE stood for the National Institute of Coordinated Experiments, but just the acronym NICE. Now, who could be against NICE? NICE was actually a satanically-fueled effort at global control. That's what NICE was. And people today talk about the deep state or the global reset. Lewis was onto this in the 1940s, okay? And Mark was hired to write editorials as a solution for a crisis. And you said, well, what's wrong with that? Well, (laughs) he started scratching his head trying to figure out that he was writing editorials for the proper response to a crisis, but it was before the crisis or before the emergency ever began, and some folks in NICE from behind the scenes were causing the crisis to occur. And then when it occurred, boom, out came Mark's editorials expressing NICE's viewpoint as a way of leading modern society away from God into darkness. And, you know, the last several years we've heard about fake news. <laughs> Lewis was into fake news in the 1940s. He saw where the world was going. In fact, um, and this is what caused 
Dr. Packer, and Dr. Packer is a great man, a great professor, but he just said Lewis wouldn't even trust the newspaper. The only play, part of the newspaper Lewis said you could trust were the sports pages. And the intellectuals who thought they were smart were just led down the uh, rose-covered pathway to darkness as a result of what the newspaper was reporting and editorializing on. So in any case, if you want to understand C.S. Lewis, if um, you're particularly if you have a family of a lot of friends of C.S. Lewis and kids will be going off to college and maybe doing a paper in college or in high school on C.S. Lewis, uh, the best book to understand Lewis was uh, a book entitled C.S. Lewis, Companion and Guide by Walter Hooper. Walter Hooper. And he's the key to understanding Lewis. I'm going to tell you in a moment, um, even though I've read that hideous strength, I don't know, two, maybe three times, referred to it several times, thought of it constantly the last several years, and thought of it a whole lot in 2020, and even more so in 2021, that hideous strength was so far ahead of its time that people, I'm talking about Christian leaders, couldn't recognize it for what Lewis was trying to do. And he realized that writing fiction was a way to bring people's minds to see a reality they weren't seeing with their eyes, something right before them. But Hooper said this was the purpose of NICE. Remember, again, that's the National Institute of Coordinated Experiments. And Hooper says the first fruits of that fusion between the state and the laboratory, the state and science. When state and science get together, basically the moderns, the progressives were hoping for a better world to come of it. And the purpose of NICE was kind of like a leap in evolution where, quote, man has to take charge of man, unquote. We're responsible for our own progress to the next level. And this global reset stuff that's being talked about now, this is exactly what people are hoping for. Places like the Wall Street Journal editorials are openly talking about this. Now, some of the ways that NICE was going to get man to take charge of man included, included sterilization of the unfit, liquidation of backward races, selective breeding, biochemical conditioning of the brain, and organic life replaced by chemicals. Now, here's the key to the book. And as I say, this is a book I wasn't interested in reading, but I was interested in evangelism, and my professor very wisely just put us to Lewis, 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 Lewis. But of all that reading and so much of it I appreciated, this is what I missed. I missed the key to that hideous strength. And I want you to read that hideous strength because in some ways, um, you know, it's a story, okay? It's fiction, but here's somebody who in 1940 was talking about where our world would be in 2021, and that's really a pretty good move. But here's where 
I, here's what I missed, and it's in the very title page of that hideous strength. One of the reasons I missed it, it was in Old English because Lewis loved Old English literature, but this is how it went. Quote, the shadow of that hideous strength, six mile, that's Old English for six mile, and more of its length. The shadow of that hideous strength was more than six miles. What was he talking about? He was talking about the Tower of Babel. That's the key to this entire book. That's the key to all of these plans for global governance and great reset, new world order and world economic form. All it, it's the same deal. It's referring to Genesis chapter 11, the Tower of Babel, which was the first attempt at a world order. God says, disperse, go and fill up the world. And they said, no, we need to make a great name for ourselves. And so in rebellion to God, and in a certain sense, in, in a way to build a temple from earth to heaven and reach the heaven and thereby divinize man, they began this effort but God, as you know, confused it in a very humorous way. In fact, it was so humorous, I'm sure if you saw a film of it, like me, you would fall off your bed laughing uncontrollably. It was the first attempt at a world order, but note in Genesis chapter 11, it says, after God confused their speech, they left off building the tower. Okay, but hear this. That impulse to finish building that tower has never left this planet. It's here, it's persisted. Now, as you go through history, it seems to have submerged out of sight, kind of like a submarine, but if it's there, if you see a periscope, it's coming back up at certain times and it'll erupt. So the first Tower of Babel, okay, was in the very region led by a guy named Nimrod, who is a precursor of the Antichrist, who the Antichrist, of course, will lead the final world order. But that Tower of Babel region turned into Babylon, the world's first empire. And that empire was basically fueled by the dark side. And it was the first attempt, but it didn't end there. It's interesting when you get to the end of the Bible, you read in Revelation 17 and 18 about mystery Babylon the Great. Listen to this from Revelation 17, 5. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of harlots and of earth's abominations. And I saw a woman drunk with the blood of the saints and the blood of the martyrs. And when I saw her, I marveled greatly. St. John saw this vision of mystery Babylon. Okay. But the angel said to me, why marvel? This is a fascinating question because in the first century, mystery Babylon, which was in the Old Testament era, has now continued through history, okay, starting at the Tower of Babel, the Babylonian Empire with Nebuchadnezzar, but now it was Caesar 
beginning to persecute the church. And the Roman Empire, St. John calls Mystery Babylon. John marvels at the vision. He goes, why marvel? This, there's nothing new here. This is a, an attempt that man has been trying to do, man apart from God has been trying to do since the beginning of human history. So don't marvel about it. It's been around. So question is, who controls the deep state, the global reset, the getting rid of national sovereignty so we could have a world government? Well, it's the same deal. Nothing has changed. And in the end, it will certainly not be successful. But how we react to that, I dare say, conservative Christians, both Catholic and Protestant, haven't reacted in the best way to this. Um, it's not just um, sending a bunch of posts around on Facebook and emails about this or that guy and warring against this group and that group. I think there's a scripture that has almost become a slogan, but should become a stark reality. And I'm referring to Ephesians 6 and verse 12, where it says, we are not contending against flesh and blood. Flesh and blood are simply the puppets, okay? But the principalities, the powers, and the world rulers of this present darkness, that's who is controlling the shots. And that's where we pray things like the St. Michael the Archangel prayer. So behind nice in C.S. Lewis's This Hideous Strength, Babylon in the Old Testament, the Roman Empire in the New Testament era, the powers of global darkness in our day, it's all the same. And how we respond to it is things like the St. Michael the Archangel prayer have an importance that probably exceeds by a thousandfold what may be currently in our minds as we look on the human scene and try human ways to engineer this. Um, if you'd like to learn more about the Tower of Babel and Nimrod and the book of Genesis and how all of that prefigures the end times, I invite you to listen to our companion broadcast on Bible prophecy called Luke 21 Radio, also available as a podcast and broadcast form. It will help you see what is going on in our world, and I have to say thank you to C.S. Lewis for helping me to see that. I'm Steve Wood, your host, and you've been listening to episode 321 of Faith and Family Radio. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at dads.org.